Hi, and welcome to the Sustainable Business Podcast. I'm Will Richardson. As all areas of industry and the economy look to transition towards a more sustainable future, there are a number of obstacles in their path, but also opportunities. Perhaps more than other industries, construction is often under the microscope. With a significant impact on pollution and energy consumption, the construction industry also has a crucial role to play in improving sustainable practices and in cutting down global carbon emissions. Joining me today is Ian Riley, CEO of the World Cement Association. He brings a wealth of experience of working on improving sustainable practices and the challenges they pose. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Ian. Well, thank you for inviting me, Will, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Could you explain a little bit about the World Cement Association and what it is that you do? The World Cement Association was set up in 2016 to be uh, a voice for the independent players in the industry. Uh, So in addition to being the voice of the industry, we have two other objectives. Uh, One is to try to help our members to improve the uh, efficiency of their production operations, so to reduce their uh, energy consumption and, of course, their CO2 footprint. And, and the other is to help uh, accelerate decarbonization of the cement industry. Uh, so perhaps uh, just in, in, in putting that into context, the cement industry is responsible for uh, 7 to 8% of the world's CO2 emissions. And this comes as a result of the raw material decomposing in the kiln uh, to calcium oxide and CO2. So it's a part of the process, even if you have very good energy efficiency or you switch to other fuels, you still have a residual emission. About two-thirds of emissions come from the limestone. Uh, So the industry has has known for a long time that this has been uh, something that it has to find a a way of uh, reducing. The carbon footprint is is something we have to find a way of reducing. Mm. And... uh, uh, although we've been working on that for a long time and made some progress in that, it still remains the key challenge for the industry. Interesting. So I've heard of the term carbon negative concrete. Could you let us know a little bit about how concrete production can reduce its impact on the environment, please? Yeah, so so concrete is composed of, of cement, sand, aggregates, water, uh, and some additives. Um, the majority of the carbon footprint of of concrete comes from the cement. The the sand aggregates water are all very, very minor. And so traditionally, the way that we've tried to reduce the carbon footprint of concrete has focused on reducing that uh, cement footprint. And so the cement industry, for example, has uh, has moved from using, let's say, a pure clinker-based cement, an OPC, to a blended cement uh, where the OPC, the clinker, is blended with, particularly with slag and fly ash, but other cementitious materials, so that the high CO2 portion is reduced. Uh, so using this approach, you can reduce the CO2 of, of concrete. But recently, uh, companies have started, uh, uh, especially uh, startups, have, have, have started looking at technology uh, which looks at making concrete in, in a different way. Uh, So there are a a number of technologies that look at using CO2 to cure the the concrete so that during that curing process, the concrete is absorbing CO2. Um, This is a technology that can be applied primarily to precast because you have to have uh, uh, curing chambers. 
Um, and another technology that uh, is very interesting is producing aggregates by sequestering CO2 uh, in, into a calcium carbonate. So most aggregates uh, are used around the world are limestone. So that's basically calcium carbonate with a few impurities in there. Uh, and, and you can make these synthetically by sequestering CO2 from an emission source and reacting it with uh, calcium oxide to form calcium carbonate in much the same way uh, that it's formed in nature, you know, in the shells mm. of, of uh, uh, marine animals. So applying that kind of technology, you can effectively get a, 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 an aggregate that's been made with CO2. So in a sense, has a negative CO2. And when you combine that with lower CO2 cementitious products, you can reduce the CO2 of the concrete. And, uh, you know, if you, if you just use synthetic aggregates, then in principle, you can sequester a lot more CO2 than was generated in the, in the cement production. So you, in that sense, have a, a carbon negative concrete. Interesting. It's a bit of a game changer for concrete, really, with such a dirty reputation. Yeah, so... Of course, with uh, all of these new technologies, the question is uh, is scaling them. Uh, so th there is a tremendous amount of of activity uh, and development and and uh, brain power being applied to this, and you see uh, uh, lots of startups in this concrete tech or climate tech space. But uh, it, it is something that's relatively new. So at the moment, uh, these various different ideas are all at the sort of pilot stage. And uh, the challenge is, is to, to scale them. Mm. Uh, some of them are uh, more expensive, some of them are less expensive. But I think in the UK, we have an environment with, uh, with the ETS, so you've got carbon pricing and a lot of pressure to improve the sustainability of building materials. So I think in the, in the UK, at least, we have the conditions that will allow these uh, new technologies to be developed. Right. And looking at the construction industry more broadly, businesses are increasingly under pressure to ensure circularity and pay close attention to the full life cycles of their materials. What impact do you think this has had on the industry? I think it has already had a, a substantial impact. If we go and talk to construction companies or developers, then they're, they're very keen to explore ways in which they can uh, improve the circularity of, of materials and reduce the carbon footprint. Okay. Is there a need for better collaboration across the supply chain? We see more and more companies reporting their carbon footprint and not just looking at scope one, but also uh, scope two and three as well. So when we look at scope three emissions in the construction sector, uh, for contractors or house builders then the vast majority of their emissions are going to be uh, scope three. So scope yeah. three really falls into two parts. Uh, one is the Im embodied carbon of the materials, and one is the uh, carbon that's in use. So, you know, when you, you and I buy a house, we're going to heat it and so forth. So there's the, uh, the carbon in use uh, for the lifetime of the, of the building. And the in use portion is about two thirds and, and, and the, um, materials are about one third. So as more and more companies start to report that and start to look at that, then, then they're suddenly realizing that the, the scope of their 
sustainability challenge is much, much larger than they, they had realized when they were mm -hmm. just looking at scope one. Yeah. And I do think that this will, will lead to a much more rapid change as companies start to, to look at the full, uh, if you like, the full supply chain, the full life cycle emissions. Yeah, 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 I can see that. And it will, it will make house builders think about the running of the houses as well. And we've already got the Merton rule, but that's only 10% energy, isn't it? So we need, to, we need to see more legislative devices than just that. Yeah, I think in the UK, we've got a big challenge with the existing housing stock. You know, most of it is, is not particularly well insulated. And so uh, the, the heating costs are higher than they perhaps could be. And if you look at the um, older housing stock, if you look at um, you know, houses that are 100 years old or more, it's often very difficult to really improve their, um, their, their insulation um, to a point that, that you, you have a, a much lower cost. Uh, but at the moment, what's happening is even new houses are being built that have much higher carbon footprint than they, they need to. So we're still installing gas boilers in, in, in new houses because, of course, they're a lot cheaper than uh, installing heat pumps. Um, but we can see in, in countries that, that install heat pumps as a standard, uh, the costs of doing so are, are not much higher than they are for gas boilers. So I think there's quite a, a long way to go in terms of having effective supply chains for some of the new technologies, uh, not just in construction materials, but also in... in uh, heating and, and uh, you know, the in-use uh, CO2. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, are there any new technologies that could help in making the construction industry less wasteful and more sustainable on top of the ones you've mentioned before? Well, there are, of course, uh, technologies that are being applied uh, both in the design phase and in the construction phase to reduce waste. In usage, uh, so it, it, when the construction materials are being used on the on, on the sites, the techniques that are, are being applied today start to uh, be uh, uh, different from the techniques that we've used for you know for, for, for centuries, I guess. And and construction companies are applying, uh, so for example, building information modeling uh, on the design side, but also on the project management side, and and this can be used to optimize designs and also reduce the waste. Uh, in the whole uh, supply uh, supply chain to the construction site. Uh, I think that the uh, trend that we're seeing is that the designers are starting to pay more attention to carbon footprint related matters. So I, I remember uh, when I worked for Holcim, um, some it must have been 10 or 15 years ago, we, we tried to engage contractors in a, in a discussion on a carbon footprint to try to look at how the concrete could be optimized, uh, not just for cost, but also for, for, for CO2. And they really weren't uh, interested at that time in, in having that conversation. Uh, today, that's completely changed. And uh, everybody involved in the supply chain, starting you know, with the designers and, and the uh, developers, you know, right the way through to the material suppliers, uh, is concerned about this and are thinking about how uh, CO2 can be reduced. So, so take a, a simple example. Uh, in the past, you would probably, on a, on a smaller or mid-sized site, 
you'd probably just have one grade of concrete that would have been specified for all of the usage. So clearly some of the um, uses of concrete, for example, in, in pillars, is going to be uh, have a higher requirement than concrete that's just used for a mm. car park. But it, it's, it's more difficult to uh, you know, schedule the uh, trucks and, and manage the logistics if you have more than one grade. So in the past, there was a tendency just to keep life simple. Uh, and today, there's much more of a, um, a willingness to say, okay, well, let's optimize this. Maybe on a cost standpoint, it doesn't make so much difference, but it can make quite a big difference to the embodied I carbon. guess there's a, there are logistic software that could probably help in this area for site managers. Well, I think this is part of it, of course, is that the, the tools that the site managers have uh, and use today uh, are more sophisticated. And as you say, you know, the, the uh, logistics are, uh, are usually managed digitally on, yeah. on the larger yeah, sites. Yeah, I can imagine it. Are there any challenges in adopting these new technologies? So a, a number of the new technologies use uh, a, a waste material um, as, as the raw material. So in the uh, example that I gave earlier with the synthetic aggregates, uh, the, the CO2 is sequestered and uh, reacted with uh, calcium oxide. So that calcium oxide is coming from waste concrete. Uh, so a large portion of the, uh, the output of a plant that will be sequestering the CO2 is on the aggregate side. It's both the upcycled aggregates that have had the uh, cement uh, washed off them and reacted with the CO2, and also the synthetic aggregates that are produced uh, with the CO2, sequestering the CO2 into the aggregates. Um, so although you start out with a carbon sequestration technology, it, to make it work, you really have to have a business that sources construction waste and is able to sell aggregates. Uh, so this is an example of how it's a bit more complicated to actually make that work in the, in the real world. A lot of it comes down to looking at the logistics and, and making sure that you have materials that you need within uh, a, a very short distance of the plant and you have a market for, uh, for the products that are being produced. So it's not, not as simple as being able to just uh, plug something in and sequester the CO2. Do you think these issues can be solved by the private sector or is there more that governments can do? I think governments have uh, an essential role in encouraging this transition. And you could perhaps uh, split that into a couple of parts. So one part is to uh, create the right economic incentives. And uh, economic incentives really, I think, come in sort of two flavors. Uh, one is carbon pricing, which, of course, in, in Europe uh, we have, although the way that it's applied is, is not, not universal yet. And then the other is creating public procurement markets that you know, lead the way, that, that reward greener products, mm. you know, so that are deliberately procuring products that have better circularity or lower, lower carbon. So I think that's part of what government can do is to provide those incentives. And then the other part of what government needs to do is to look at regulations and standards that have been set up really to if you like, for the old linear economy. So if you take uh, uh, standards for concrete um, or for aggregates, then these standards have been, have been set up uh, to use virgin materials um, and to be quite prescriptive in terms of what is used. So 
if we want to have, take full advantage of the opportunities that the new technology provides, then government has a role there in, in uh, changing some of these standards and encouraging the standards bodies to, um, to change more quickly. And, and possibly also um, in, in risk management. So one of the things that worries designers uh, with uh, new, new techniques and new materials and, uh, is, you know, is the building going to fall down? So if, if you're building a, a bridge, you want to be really, really conservative. But if you're building, you know, if you're building a slab, parking lot or, or a warehouse or something like this, where you probably can afford to take more risks. Mm -hmm. and, and, but the question for, for the enterprises is often, well, does my insurance cover this? Uh, and so I think there's probably some role that government can play in order to put in place a system where enterprises that are willing to uh, try new techniques uh, are not forced to take uh, uh, sort of business-threatening risks. Yeah. It's, it's a massive picture I was going to say problem, but it's not really a problem. It's a it's a picture, isn't it? You know, it's so multi-dimensional with regards to the different areas that impact has, from insurance to through to environment, through to longevity, to, through to to everything that you've you've said. It's complicated. It is complicated, and I think because it's complicated, that uh, we should expect the private sector. To, to deal with a lot of it. You, you know, the private sector deals with complexity um, better than, than the government does because there are so many different actors looking at so many different angles. But the, the government still has a very important role in providing, you know, providing a framework and providing a business environment which encourages you know, the right mm. sort of behavior. We know that construction has a huge impact on the environment. But we also know it needs to meet the demands of the changing world. Do you think there are any opportunities for the industry during this transition? So I think that the, <clears throat> the construction industry is obviously playing a, an essential role in allowing, especially in developing countries, in, in uh, allowing those countries to di uh, develop and uh, to urbanize. The amount of, of construction that's necessary to allow developing countries to come out of poverty and enjoy the sort of lifestyle that we, we have in the West is, is huge. And I don't think it's realistic to think that they're going to be willing to give that up. So the challenge for the, for the industry is to find uh, new ways of doing things uh, that are more sustainable. And I think we'll, we'll only see increasing pressure to, uh, mm -hmm. to do that. So it, it's not only in the um, in the developed countries. It's not only in, in Europe, for example, that we that we see changes. Um, for, former colleague of mine is um, in charge of of uh, modern construction methods for the Neom project in Saudi Arabia. So Neom is a big uh, new city, and the, the target is to build a, a zero carbon right. city. Uh, and, and so they're investing a huge amount of money on innovative construction methods, uh, some of which they're, they're piloting and they're trialing themselves. Um, so uh, he, was, he was telling me that uh, they're looking at uh, plastic composites for tunnel linings, uh, you know, as, as an example. So, so this is a completely new method. Maybe it will work, maybe it won't. But, but the point is that um, as part of this mega project, there's a lot of developments uh, going on. Okay. Are you optimistic about the future of the construction industry as it makes the move to more sustainable practices? 
I think that uh, there's a there's a great opportunity uh, for the UK here because the what we see is is in in the UK that the the pressure on circularity and uh, carbon reduction is probably as high as it is anywhere and and higher than mo- almost anywhere else, um, and that's leading to uh, uh, innovation, and and you know the UK has a lot of companies that are engaged in uh, in construction and design in particular. Uh, so I think it's it's uh, it's a good opportunity uh, specifically for the UK uh, to be pioneering these uh, new construction techniques. Uh, so I think yes, in 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 general, the construction industry yeah, there's there's clearly a, a huge demand, uh, and the fact that societies are keen to see uh, innovation and more sustain- sustainable approaches uh, gives a gives a lot of opportunity for the industry. Brilliant, I like that. It's always good to be optimistic. It's always good to finish on that note as well, because I think if we, you know, we start to dwell in um, non-optimistic thinking, then I think that we start, you almost, it's self-perpetuating, isn't it? Self-fulfilling prophecies. And I think it sounds like, you know, your industry is doing huge amounts of work in this area and um, is a massive part of the solution which is great to hear, to be honest with you. It's really, really good to hear. Yeah, so look, thanks for um, giving me the opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Ian. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of the Sustainable Business Podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, you can find a link to the Green Element website in the show notes. We would also love to hear from you. So if you want to feedback or if you have any questions, feel free to DM us at Green Element through LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Will Richardson from Green Elements. And please don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And we'll be back next month. Until then, take care.